There's no greater Christmas classic movie that is shown at this time of the year than Frank Capra's It's a Wonderful Life. Have you seen it yet? I have yet to see it, but I want to see it. Maybe this week. Maybe we'll do it this week. And so... But there is no greater Christmas character than poor George Bailey. He's even referred uh, throughout the movie as poor George. We're probably all familiar with this movie that comes out every year. and We see in this movie that George Bailey is introduced as a young man who saves his brother Harry from drowning. And George has big dreams of his own. Dreams to travel the world. Dreams to go to college. Dreams to build things. But life happens to George. And poor George's plans are always getting put on hold because someone else's needs always seem to be greater at the moment. George always makes the choice to give up his dreams to do what needs to be done. Others do well, and George, well, he just kind of gets lost in the humdrum of life in Bedford Falls. George's plans first get put on hold when his dad suddenly dies, and then they get put on hold during the Great Depression and the stock market crash, and his plans get put on hold by the war. Then they get put on hold because his brother gets a great job opportunity, and George is always sacrificing for others. And though George is a very important part of the movie, he's almost forgotten by those in the community. And if not forgotten, and certainly taken advantage of, of his kindness that he gives. George Bailey reminds me of a lot of almost a forgotten character in the Christmas story. Joseph. The earthly father of Jesus. Maybe he's not so much forgotten, but Joseph is certainly a silent one there. Are you aware that there is not a single quote attributed to Joseph in the entire Bible? Not one do we see. How undad-like is that? You know, some dads are famous for some pretty great quotes. Here's a few that I found, and, and I've used some of them too as a dad. Go ask your mother. Don't worry, son, it's only blood. Do I look like I'm made of money? Hey, I was watching, I was listening to that with my eyes closed. Honey, we're not lost. No, we're not there yet. And if I have to stop this car one more time... But from Joseph we get nothing. No, why me, God? Not even God, how can this be? This is a man chosen to be the earthly father of Jesus. And all we know about him is that he was a carpenter. Okay, maybe we know a little bit more than that. We know that Joseph had royal blood running through his veins. Matthew tells us in chapter 1 of Joseph's genealogy running from Abraham through King David to his father Jacob. 
We also know that his marriage to Mary was an arranged marriage. For that is how it was in those days. Brad, let's watch that video if we can. Don't worry, my boy. You'll be nice and warm. I wrapped you in your mother's old blanket. Don't start with that, huh? A 90 mile walk. Just so you can get born in a stable. You know, if we were back home in Nazareth, I could build you a fine crib. But here, no crib. I have to put you to sleep in the hay. Matthew chapter 1. 
Matthew chapter 1. At the beginning of chapter 1, we see the genealogy of Jesus coming from, uh, it says in verse 1, this is the genealogy of Jesus, the Messiah, the son of David, the son of Abraham. And we see that it goes all the way through verse 16. And Jacob, the father of Joseph, the husband of Mary, and Mary was the mother of Jesus, who is called the Messiah. <coughs> but we're going to look at beginning at verse 18 this morning. Matthew chapter 1, beginning in verse 18. This is how the birth of Jesus the Messiah came about. His mother Mary was pledged to be married to Joseph. But before they came together, she was found to be pregnant through the Holy Spirit. Because Joseph, her husband, was faithful to the law and yet did not want to expose her to public disgrace, he had in mind to divorce her quietly. But after he had considered this, an angel of the Lord appeared to him in a dream and said, Joseph, son of David, do not be afraid to take Mary home as your wife, because what is conceived in her is from the Holy Spirit. She will give birth to a son, and you are to give him the name Jesus, because he will save his people from their sins. All this took place to fulfill what the Lord had said to the prophet. The virgin will conceive and give birth to a son, and they will call him Emmanuel, which means God with us. When Joseph woke up, he did what the angel of the Lord had commanded him and took Mary home and his wife. But he did not consummate their marriage until she gave birth to a son, and he gave him the name Jesus. <coughs> I think we can say that Joseph's message to each of us is more of a walking message than a talking message. And isn't that the way it should be in a message? Someone once said, a life well lived is worth more than all the messages in the world. So what can we learn from Joseph? First, we can look at Joseph and see selflessness. In many ways, Joseph is probably the one person in the whole Christmas story that had been treated more unfairly than any other person in this whole story. Here's a man who looked forward to a new life with his new wife. He's looking to start a family, to continue to build his carpentry business. And then this announcement of Mary's pregnancy is announced. And all that Joseph is looking forward to gets put on hold. Now there are several ways that Joseph could choose to handle this situation that's before him. And the extreme option would to have to have Mary Stone, which would be legal according to the law at, the, at that time, according to Deuteronomy chapter 22. But another serious, less extreme option would issue would be to issue a certificate of divorce to Mary. But that would be an embarrassment not only to her, but to her family as well. There must have been something more for, to Joseph and Mary's relationship than just an arrangement. For Joseph, even before that angel showed up, decided to break that engagement quietly. And as verse 19 tells us, it could have been love that kept, that Joseph had for Mary, that kept them together. For even though love had little to do with arranged marriages back then. 
It could have been out of respect for Mary's family. We don't know what it was, but it was a selfless act on Joseph's part. Matthew writes that Joseph was a just man. The Greek word for just was first used as those individuals who were right in their duties towards their gods and the universe towards men, and also in reference to matters that were accordance <coughs> with that which was right. The Old Testament prophet Ezekiel gives us more Jewish understanding here in Ezekiel chapter 18 when he says these words. If he has walked in my statutes and kept my judgments faithfully, he is just. He shall surely live, says the Lord God. So Joseph was a man who wanted to do the right thing. To the, and one who followed God's law and sought to obey them the best he could. Joseph could have demanded justice that day. That would have been justifiable. But what is just and what is justifiable are not always the same thing. Justice, in Mary's case, could have been ridicule, death. But Joseph thought of Mary or of Mary's family and chose before that angel appeared to him that, that the right thing, the just thing, was to put her divorce and to divorce her quietly. A just person doesn't seek the disgrace of any person. A just person works to build up and not tear people down. Joseph knew the choice he had to make and that the possibility of sending Mary to a disgraceful life in her society and that for him was not right in his eyes. Joseph's selfless action here gives us a wonderful example of the grace of God working through Jesus to save us. What that tells me is that Joseph was being a follower of Jesus even before Jesus came to earth. Weren't we too deserving of death for our sins? Did the justice of all eternity call for God to leave us suffer with the consequences of our actions? And yet God in His grace and His mercy, He moved in to redeem us and take us as His own, His own children by sending His one and only Son to us on that first Christmas night. Joseph in his selflessness, demonstrated grace and he wasn't even a believer in Jesus. That should speak volumes to us this morning. The second thing we can learn from Joseph is that he was patient. In verse 20 it says, after he considered this, his options, after he considered his options, the New King James Version says it this way. While he thought about these things, the message translation says, while he was trying to figure a way out. It doesn't matter what version we have of the Bible. What we say, it boils down to the fact that Joseph didn't react irrationally here. He didn't make rash judgments. He wasn't impulsive. And if we're being up front this morning, we don't always think rationally in emotional situations, do we? How many divorces this year have happened because a spouse had said something in the heat of an argument that couldn't be taken back? About 20 years ago, a basketball player by the name of Dennis Rodman 
married a woman named Carmen. They were married for ten days. And after that ten days, Dennis said these words. He said that he was confused and not in his right mind. And so he divorced Carmen. For our laws today even make an allowance for crimes of passion. Are you aware today that the crime of manslaughter is a lesser crime than murder because manslaughter is considered a crime done in the heat of passion or in the heat of the moment? Joseph was patient. He thought before he acted. Joseph's patience led to an encounter with an understanding of the will of God for his life. For when we choose to make hasty decisions by drastic circumstances, we are often closing the door for the Holy Spirit to walk through and do what he needs to do. For I am reminded of what the psalmist says here in Psalms 27 where he says, Wait on the Lord. Be of good courage, and he shall strengthen your heart. Wait, I say, on the Lord. And I'm reminded of what Isaiah says in Isaiah 40. But those who wait upon the Lord shall renew their strength. They shall mount up with wings like eagles. They shall run and not be weary. They shall walk and not faint. We are called to live patiently. How many times have we blown the horn as we've driven down the roads because we have failed to be patient with other drivers? To be honest, this morning I have stopped praying for patience. Not because I'm patient, because I'm not. But because I'm learning that God doesn't give us patience, but rather God gives us opportunity to learn patience. Yes, oftentimes these, those times of learning are painful, but they are times that God works the best in our lives. Those are the times that the greatest spiritual growth can come into our lives. Those are the times that puts us right where God wants us to be. When life throws up to us a curveball, we must have the strength to swing. Even if we miss, we need to swing at it. Third thing we can learn from Joseph is obedience. Joseph heard God's call as the angel spoke. Go ahead, take Mary as your wife. It's going to be okay. As a matter of fact, it's going to save the world. Here's what Joseph's obedience got him. Disgust from his family. Embarrassment in the community, the loss of friends, a journey with a pregnant wife from Nazareth to Bethlehem, exiled to a foreign country, running from a ruler who wanted to kill his infant son. And today, for the most part, unknown in history. Not many people know about Joseph. No famous Joseph quotes are ever on a bumper sticker, on a shirt. No lasting impressions, no earth-shattering accomplishments, just simple obedience. And the reality that we live with today is the same call of God on our lives to follow His demands and our obedience to Him. 
And I think it's also important for us to know that the fact that being in the will of God is often not the most comfortable or the most convenient or the most carefree place to be. You know, I really struggle with people today who call themselves a Christian, who call themselves a follower of Jesus, who call themselves a believer, and yet don't live what they profess. I don't know if you struggle with that or not, but I do. When people say that I love God, but all of a sudden they turn and do what the world says. And live like the world. Apparently they haven't read the, lot, the stories about Joseph, about Paul, about Stephen, or Peter, or the story about Cassie Barnell, or Jim Elliott, or, in, or countless other people who have followed Jesus unto death. But each one of these that I've mentioned this morning, be it Paul, or Joseph, or John, or Cassie, or Peter, they were all obedient to the will of God. Selflessness, patience, Obedience. These are the three things we can learn from Joseph. I wonder if God chose Mary, not because of her, but because she was engaged to Joseph. Because God wanted his son raised in Joseph's home. There he would learn from his earthly father all that he would need to fulfill his ultimate calling. There he would learn obedience. There he would learn patience. There he would learn selflessness. So we can see how Joseph exhibited selflessness, patience, and obedience. And it changed the world. I wonder if the character of poor George Bailey is not modeled after Joseph. George's selflessness, <coughs> his patience, his obedience changed not only his life, but the life of that entire Bedford Falls. That's the impact our lives can have in our communities if we choose to allow the Holy Spirit to work in us. Joseph had much more difficult tasks than we do, for he was told that the child conceived is of the Holy Spirit, and that child in the manger came to live and to die, that the Holy Spirit may live in us and through us, so we can help encounter that child in the manger. For we must realize that this baby in the manger caused Joseph to encounter God. It also encounter, causes us to encounter him this Christmas season. For we must know that the one whom we worship, the one we adore, only through him, only through him when we know Selflessness, patience, obedience. For Jesus is our example. He is our strength. He is our guide. He who lived in a manger desires to live in us and walk with us each step of the way. But we must keep our eyes upon him. I have a friend named Ryan. Ryan was a brat in school. He wasn't liked very much. 
But as Ryan grew up, Ryan became a speaker for camps for teenagers. And one day, Ryan was speaking at a camp. And everywhere he went, be it breakfast time or out on the field as the kids were playing, he would always say, keep your eyes on him. The last day of camp, Ryan, all the counselors would do an obstacle course. And one of the things in the obstacle course is you would have to take a beam and you would have to start at the bottom of the hill and you would have to go over a little mountain carrying this beam. This beam was not a light beam. And Ryan was the one who was on the last leg of the obstacle course. He got to carry the beam. <clears throat> As he was there at that camp, all the other people have already come in from running the obstacle course. Everybody had carried their beam, but Ryan was nowhere to be found. <coughs> People started going up the hill to start looking for him. And all of a sudden, Ryan is spotted at the top of the hill. The beam is on his shoulder. There is a gash on his head. Later, it was known that he had fallen and hit himself on a rock on the ground. And all the kids began to run up the mountain. Ryan was dead tired at this time. And all the kids began to say, Ryan, Ryan, keep your eyes on him. Keep your eyes on him. And Ryan began to hear that. That energy that was deep within him began to grow and to grow. And he had a new vigor to finish the race. He finished last. But he was reminded to keep his eyes on Jesus. May we, as we take a step, towards the manger this Christmas season. Yes, we might be carrying a lot of things this Christmas season. Maybe a lot of anxiety, maybe a lot of other things. But may we keep our eyes focused on Jesus this Christmas. Would you stand as we pray?